0: Today, saints, as we continue in God's word, what I want to do is build upon what we preached about last Sunday. So that's why we're back in John chapter 20. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And now, the following Sunday, a week later. Amen? Think about it. Friday, Good Friday, we call it, the day Jesus died. And then Saturday, and then Sunday when God raised him from the dead. And now, a week later, on what we would call the eighth day, what the Bible refers to elsewhere as eight days later, The following Sunday. You see, it happens to be the case that we today are on that day, the the week later. And that's why the Lord led me to continue um, in John chapter 20 on this day. The week after, the Sunday after Resurrection Sunday. Because there is a word for us in John chapter 20. for this day. Now these days have been among the most perplexing ever for Jesus disciples. First, they never expected to see Jesus alive again. They witnessed him being crucified. They were not expecting him to come back. And not that he didn't tell them that he would come back, but they didn't get it. His resurrection was the most unexpected outcome for them. In fact, a week later, they were still trying to wrap their heads around everything that had happened. Second, they do not understand any of this Uh, they do not understand the reality of any of this. They don't even understand that this could be a reality. (laughs) So first, they never expected to see Jesus alive again. Second, they still don't understand how any of this could even be a reality. Speaking of his disciples, this is not the world. This was not the world as they understood it. And as they had been taught, their entire worldview has been shattered by the events of the previous week. Nothing is the same. Not even Jesus. Because he is now risen from the dead, and they still do not grasp what it all means. Third, they were afraid for their lives because of the Jewish authorities. Because the Jewish authorities were feverishly trying to hunt them down. You see, they too had been betrayed by Judas Iscariot and knew that they were marked men. If the Jews arrested and killed Jesus, then surely they would also arrest and put each of them to death. And by the way, in time... Several of them would be put to death, but it would be much later than now. So, so third, they, 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 are, they were afraid for their lives. Fourth, what were they gonna do next? I could imagine a lot of discussions among them about what the future might hold. What are they, what are they doing? You see, in their minds at the beginning, when they watched Jesus crucified, in their minds, they had lost their leader, lost their Lord. What were they going to do? After having seen him on the third day resurrected, they still, they still don't know what to do. They're still struggling. Fifth, who Is Jesus risen from the dead? They're struggling to grasp the full meaning of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And what about his body? His person? Think about it. I mean, from their point of view what they were experiencing in all of this. Paul Beasley Murray writes, and I quote, Jesus is not hindered by physical barriers such as locked doors. His body possesses strange, non-physical powers. No doubt this ability to materialize, apparently from nowhere, must have caused the disciples further fear. Can you imagine what's going through their minds, what was going through their minds when they were locked up in the room, in the house, on the day that Jesus was raised from the dead, trying to grapple with all of this, and all of a sudden, Jesus appears. He doesn't need a key, and he doesn't bang on the door to let me in, he said. Let me in, let me in, like we would do. He just enters the place where they were. And nobody was supposed to know where they were except those closest. But yet Jesus showed up. This brought this must have caused the disciples even further fear. End quote. So it would not be an overstatement to say the disciples were overwhelmed by everything they had experienced in the previous week. But then There's the disciple Thomas who was absent at Jesus' first appearance on Easter Sunday evening according to John chapter 20 verse 24. What about Thomas? How could he have been absent and missed the first appearing of Jesus to the disciples? (laughs) Hmm. This reminds us that we can really miss a lot when we are absent, <laughs> and it can cost us greatly in terms of faith when we're absent, <laughs> when, we, when we don't show up. And very often, we don't know what we missed unless somebody tells us. Yeah. <laughs> you know, unless somebody says, you missed it, you have no idea. Well, that's actually what they did tell Thomas. For many of us today, just showing up, that is to say, being present and accounted for, just showing up is the biggest battle. <laughs> if the devil can prevent us from showing up, then we miss what we need the most for our faith to grow. Because Thomas was absent Easter Sunday evening, he would have to suffer another week without seeing Jesus. Probably one of the longest weeks of his life. They're constantly telling him, we've seen the Lord, we've seen the Lord, we've seen the Lord. And he's struggling with it. Look at John chapter 20 with me again. We read it at the beginning of the service, but allow me to read it again for the benefit of those of you who may have just come in. That's okay. John chapter 20, beginning at verse 19. So on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. First words out of his mouth. Peace After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Boy, things have changed. Things have changed. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. I will not believe. I'm not, I won't have any of it. So a week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them this time. Though the doors were locked again, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hand. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas says to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Allow me a little further to summarize the evening of Easter Sunday in verses 19 to 23. Just summarize it for us. You see, after Jesus had appeared to Mary Magdalene in the morning, he also appeared to the 10 disciples who were locked away in hiding in somebody's house. First, how did Jesus know where they were hiding? It was a secret. Early that morning, they were not together, but late in the evening, they had secretly come together in an undisclosed location. This undisclosed location was a house in which they were hiding. Surely no one outside the close inner circle of Jesus' disciples would have known the whereabouts of the disciples. And remember, Judas Iscariot is no longer with him because he betrayed the Lord, And went to his eternal destiny because of it. Verse 19 says the doors were locked for fear of the Jews. But Jesus came and stood among them. So despite their hiding the risen Lord Jesus knew exactly where they were located. Locked doors were no problem for him. He just simply appeared as we've already noted. So we can see that one unique feature of his resurrection body is that there are no barriers. Locked doors don't matter. In fact, nothing is a barrier for Jesus. He just simply appears at will and wherever he chose to not only did he appear to them but he also announced peace be with you the risen lord jesus always brings peace peace true peace real peace abiding peace The Old Testament prophet Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7, that of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Writing about the Messiah eight centuries before his coming. That of the increase of his peace and government, there would be no end. Jesus brings permanent peace. Peace with God? Peace within and peace with others. Or vertical peace, internal peace and horizontal peace. Verse 20 says, after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. In other words, he showed them the proof of his resurrection from the dead. They saw the wounds of Jesus. They could physically touch the Lord Jesus. Now it says that they looked and they saw. It doesn't explicitly say here that they touched, but they looked and they saw, and no doubt they were in complete awe of what they were witnessing. They saw his wounds, they could touch him. He was not some kind of ghost. He is real. He is alive. For these disciples, seeing was believing. And because they saw the risen Lord Jesus, they were overjoyed, overwhelmed with joy. Ah. But I don't want you to miss. He is risen. But he still bears all the marks and all the wounds of the cross. In fact, in case you didn't know this, he will forever bear those nail marks and the hole in his side that was jabbed by the spear that was thrust into him and all of the scars From the crown of thorns that was smashed into his skull, they are all still there. They were there at this time. They are all still there to this day. We will forever see. As a matter of fact, in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, the scripture says of Jesus, Behold, he comes with the clouds. This is in his future coming. He comes with the clouds and every eye, every human on the globe shall see him. And even those who pierced him will see the visible, literal evidence of the nails that were driven into his hands and into his feet, the whole plunged into his side and the scars smashed into his head by the crown of thorns. We will forever see. We, we will forever see the price that was paid for our salvation, the price paid for our sins. These are the first witnesses, eyewitnesses who up close and personally experience the risen Lord Jesus, and they are overwhelmed with joy. Overwhelmed with joy. They're not overwhelmed with grief. They are overwhelmed with joy because their sins have been paid for. The guilt of their sins have been taken away. They are ecstatic that Jesus is alive. And even though as of yet, they still don't understand the full significance of what is happening and what they're in the middle of. You know, it's difficult sometimes. Well, probably most of the time. It's very difficult uh, to understand the full um, significance of something when you are smack in the middle of it, (laughs) you know. Many times we're in the middle of something and we don't know the significance of what's going on. You know, it's almost as if you have to get outside of yourself and look at the whole situation and take a panoramic view in order to understand the gravity of what is going on. This was their case. But Jesus brought them, he brought peace to them. And he brought power to them according to verses 21 to 23. The power of the Holy Spirit, the power to go forth with the good news of the gospel of peace, and the power to bring the message of forgiveness to those who repent. The ministry of the Holy Spirit will transform the disciples to understand everything they have witnessed in the life, the teachings, and the ministry of Jesus so that they could carry the message of him to the world. And so that we could carry the message of him to the world also. They will go forth in peace and in power. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, turns pain into peace. Their pain has now been turned into peace. Not only has their pain been turned into peace, but it has been turned into power and it has also been turned into divine purpose. In fact, pain is turned into peace, power, and divine purpose in the life of every true Christian believer because of the power of the cross, because of the pain that he suffered bearing our sins. If you think the nails driven into his hands hurt, driven into his feet hurt, The spear plunged into his side, hurt. The crown of thorns smashed into his head, hurt. Those were only representative of the weight of the sins he was bearing, which hurt far more than even the physical pain that the Lord Jesus would endure. And by the way, Jesus endured this pain physically, emotionally, and spiritually in a way that, well, would be difficult for us to understand. He is bearing, he bore all of this without sin. You see, it would be difficult for us to understand this without God's divine grace and illumination. God! experienced profound pain for us. Yes, we've experienced pain, but we've experienced pain because we were born in Adam. We were born sinners. And yes, sin and sinfulness brings pain. In this world, we have pain, much pain. Too much pain. (laughs) But God had never, endured pain like this before he sent his son into the world to endure it on our behalf. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. However, though, as we have already mentioned, Thomas missed the event of Jesus' first appearance on Easter Sunday evening. So the disciples told Thomas what happened, but he refused to believe them, according to verses 24 and 25. Unless I see the nail marks and put my finger where the nails were, put my hand to his side, I will not believe. The scripture says in verse 25 that the disciples told him told him that we have seen the Lord. So notice this about verses 24 and 25. First, Mary Magdalene proclaimed in verse 18, I have seen the Lord, earlier that morning. Now, in verse 25, the ten disciples proclaim, we have seen the Lord. You know, the original Greek wording of verse 25 suggests that the ten disciples who had seen the risen Lord Jesus kept trying to convince Thomas that they had actually seen Jesus. They tried to persuade Thomas to no avail. Perhaps Thomas needed more than seeing. He needed the personal experience of touching the Lord. Unless I put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. That's what Thomas said to them. You see, Thomas not only needed to see, but he also needed to verify what he saw by physically feeling the wounds of Jesus. Again, Paul Beasley Murray writes, and I have to quote him. In some respects, Thomas's reaction was thoroughly reasonable. Dead people do not rise. In one sense, the disciples' talk of resurrection was unreasonable. Thomas had before him two of the strongest pieces of evidence for the resurrection. Namely, the witness of the empty tomb and the witness of Mary Magdalene and his fellow disciples to having seen the risen Lord. It is strange that Thomas did not believe, for the evidence was so compelling, end quote. Thomas needed to see and feel the risen Savior. And until he did, Thomas would stubbornly hold on to his doubt. A week later, On the following Sunday, (laughs) that would be today for us, a week after Resurrection Sunday. On that following Sunday, Jesus appeared to the disciples again, according to verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them, Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. You know, it was an act of grace that Jesus appeared again for the sake of Thomas in order to fulfill his need to verify what the disciples had told him. It was an act of grace. Think about this for a moment. It was an act of profound grace for the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus. We're not talking about the most important people we look up to in this world, we're talking about the Lord Jesus, who is in a category all his own, that the Lord himself, the Son of God, risen from the dead, shows an act of grace toward doubting Thomas. Hmm. So for those of you struggling with doubt, who tend to think somehow or another in your minds that God has forsaken you, that God does not care, that God pays no attention to you because you doubt. I give you Thomas as an example of God's grace to those who struggle with doubt. The Lord Jesus came back a week later Yes, because he was not present at the first appearance. He had to wait a week. <laughs> he had to wait a while. But Jesus came. Jesus already knew about Thomas' doubts. Jesus knew about the disciples' fears. Jesus knows our fears and doubts too, by the way. And yet, despite our doubts and fears, he is a merciful Savior. So Jesus appeared again without needing to have the locked doors open for him. He simply materialized in person before them. And again, the risen Savior brings peace to them just as he did the previous Sunday evening. He is there in person. When Jesus is among his disciples, there is peace. Even amid turmoil, his peace prevails. Listen to me. Listen to me because you're going to need this. <laughs> and if you've lived in the Lord and walked in the Lord any length of time, then you already know what I'm talking about. Even amid turmoil, his peace prevails. Now, just because everybody and everything else may be falling apart around you, that doesn't mean you have to fall apart. God didn't save you for you to fall apart. Jesus died in order to save you and redeem you from falling apart. Even if the rest of the world seems to be, or it feels like the rest of the world is falling apart. According to verse 27, Jesus immediately addressed the issues with Thomas. He didn't waste any time. (laughs) Scripture says, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Jesus knew everything about the conversation that had taken place between Thomas and the other disciples and Thomas's refusal to believe them. They've been, they've been going back and forth about this for a whole week now with Thomas. And he's not budging. He wasn't budging until now.) <laughs> So Jesus instructs Thomas to touch and see the place where the nails had been driven into his hands. Put your finger here. See my hands. Jesus then instructs Thomas, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Can you imagine that for a moment? Just stop to imagine. Would you do it? He puts, he reaches, he inserts. Thomas inserted his finger where the nails had been driven through the hands of Jesus. Thomas is given the privilege to truly verify that it is indeed the risen Lord Jesus Christ who had died on the cross. This reminds me of Jesus' words about himself in, in uh, Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, where he says, I am the living one. I was dead. And behold, I am alive forever and ever. Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. Thomas inserted his hand into the hole that had been pierced into Jesus' side while he was on the cross. Wow, I'd be be scared to do that almost, you know. (laughs) Can you imagine it? Thomas also verifies that Jesus is not a ghost. He is not a figment of the the other disciples' imagination. He is real and can be physically touched, even though Jesus is also able to appear and disappear. Wow. Do you believe it? He is also able to be visible to those insiders. Remember in the Gospel of Mark where we are in our series, we've been talking about insiders versus outsiders. He is also able to be visible to those insiders who believed in him and invisible to others who were outsiders that did not believe. From what we're told in the New Testament, the only people who actually saw Jesus and who knew that it was Jesus were those who believed and that he did not apparently appear to outsiders or those who refused to believe. Except Thomas. (laughs) That's grace, that's grace. He didn't have to come back and appear to Thomas, nor did he have to say to Thomas, put your hand into my side, put your finger into the holes in my hands. Jesus commands Thomas to stop doubting and believe. Now the original Greek literally says here, do not be unbelieving but believing. Here, Jesus contrasts faith and doubt in the strongest terms. Do not doubt but believe. There is a big line drawn between faith and doubt by Jesus. It ain't a thin line, it ain't a narrow line. It's a big line. <laughs> A big line colored red in blood shed on Calvary's cross. Jesus commands Thomas to repent of his doubting and surrender in total trust to the Lord. Stop doubting, Jesus said, just flat out in what would be considered imperative language. Stop doubting. Not only does Jesus say these words or not only did he say these words to Thomas but he also says these words to each and every one of us. Stop doubting! Now Jesus is standing there speaking to Thomas in person telling Thomas stop doubting! You know Let us repent of doubting God. Let us repent of failing to trust him. Let us repent of faithlessness and turn to faithfulness, as Jesus says. Stop doubting and believe. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 5 says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. (laughs) God deserves nothing less than total trust. Yeah, we talk trust. We often talk a good game of faith. But when it comes to actually putting anything on the line, when it comes to putting everything on the line, do we really trust him? Do you really trust him? Do you have total trust in him? God deserves nothing less than our total trust. Another thing that Jesus is telling Thomas is the to, to trust the Lord and stop being negative. <laughs> trust the lord and quit being negative some people some christians are negative and their negative attitudes diminish their faith diminishes their faith trusting the lord helps keep us from being negative in our attitudes faith in the lord keeps us from dragging ourselves down into doubt and negativity. You see, Thomas had a habit of being negative and even cynical, which kept him from trusting the Lord. (laughs) You may remember uh, earlier in John's Gospel, in John chapter 11, Jesus had been notified that his beloved friend Lazarus had died. (laughs) and um, Jesus at a point says to them, let us go back there to Bethany, and Thomas negatively and cynically says, yeah, let us go to die. (laughs) Let's go die with him. In a very negative and, and cynical tone, and Jesus knew this about Thomas. That's why he orders, he commands Thomas, stop doubting. Because with your doubt comes this attitude of negativity and cynicism, and everything is wrong and nothing is right, and even on a sunny day, everything is cloudy. What you're really struggling with is a lack of faith. That's your problem. You're, you're, you're doubting. God, when you doubt God, you ain't going to be positive about anything. Some of us need to repent of these, you know, before we were saved, we had a habit of negativity and negative attitudes. Now that we're saved, we still keep going back to those old negative attitudes Like, as the Bible says elsewhere, a dog returns to his vomit. Stop going back to the old negativity that you had when you were lost. Back then, you had every reason to be negative. You were on your way to hell. But now, by God's grace and by his love and by his mercy, everything has changed for you. Your standing has changed before God Almighty through Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on the cross for you. Why are you still negative about everything? When God has done for you the most positive thing ever done for anybody, you sin with your negativity. You sin against God. Because of your doubt. Stop doubting, Jesus says. And believe. Not in any, every, in any old everybody. Believe in God, not in yourself because you failed yourself enough times to know you can't trust you always. Trust the Lord with all your heart. <laughs> Total trust in him. Yeah. Now, let us learn from Thomas and his encounter with the risen Lord Jesus. You know, this reminds me of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, which says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Why? Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You see, you can't earnestly seek God if you're negative about God. Doubt and you have no faith, you're negative about everything. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. But God will reward your faith. He will reward our faith when we totally trust Him. Now, listen, I can tell you from my experience and my walk with the Lord Jesus Christ which began in June of 1980, I'm about to uh, celebrate my 43rd birthday as a Christian believer. Not one time, never ever, no, not one time has the Lord ever let me down. Not one time has the Lord ever failed. However God answered every prayer I've ever prayed, God never failed. Now, I failed him. I've stumbled him, I've stumbled countless times. I've struggled, I've doubted, you know, I've sinned countless times. But the Lord has never failed. He has been faithful all the way through, not even for a moment. Has God ever failed? Why? Because he's God. That's why. Even though I have failed to understand, even though I have struggled to believe at times, even though I have grappled to grasp and understand sometimes what God is doing and why, nevertheless, the Lord has never failed. He has never failed me. He has never failed us because he cannot fail That is why he calls on us to totally trust him and to only trust him. Let me hurry on to a close here. Verse 28 gives us the response where the scripture says, Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Upon physical verification that Jesus was real and risen from the dead, Thomas immediately shouted his confession of faith in the Lord Jesus. My Lord and my God. (laughs) Yes, you see, from this moment on, Thomas believed and was saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thomas would never look back. He needed to see and touch the Lord Jesus. And when he did, Jesus erased all doubts. Jesus erases all doubts. You see, brothers and sisters, those words of confession that Thomas gives, he wastes no time. The moment that he sees and touches the Lord Jesus, That is more than enough for him. He's not doubting anymore. He's not asking any further questions. He's not like some of us. Well, I got more questions. You know, those kind of people who just have more questions and more questions and more questions, and they never stop asking questions. They never come to terms with the truth. They never surrender themselves to the Lord. They just keep on with the questions, and they'll go to hell with those questions unanswered. Because in case you didn't know it, God is not obligated to answer any human being's question. He's God. We're human. He owes us nothing. He has graciously granted us everything. So we should never think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. And Thomas does no longer. Thomas simply confesses the Lord Jesus my Lord and my God. It's a personal confession, you see, because salvation is also personal. My Lord, he calls Jesus, and my God. Jesus, he says, is my Lord and my God. In Thomas's confession, he not only makes it personal as every last one of us has to do, but he also recognizes the theology That is inherent in his salvation. Jesus is my Lord. And Jesus is my God. It reminds me of David in the 23rd Psalm. When when he said the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Can you call him your Lord? And your God. Have you said my Lord and my God? Thomas was not only doing this for himself. He still as of yet at this point may not have realized the significance of what he was in the middle of. At least the greatness of it. The profundity of it. Thomas was not only doing this for himself, but also as an eyewitness for all who would believe afterward. In verse 29, Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So seeing is believing. But also, believing is seeing. It's true. You see, there will come a day, as the, that beautiful Christian song says, when my faith shall be sight. I haven't seen him yet, and neither have you. But one day, our faith will B, sight, brothers and sisters. You see, this is what Peter says when he, when he writes the believers and says to them in these words, First Peter chapter 1. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, that is, the salvation of your souls. Do you believe him? Though we have yet to see him, let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for the wonderful privilege to learn that seeing is believing and that also believing is seeing. For those who saw and believed, they have left for us an impeccable witness and testimony. Those like Thomas, who not only saw but touched the Lord Jesus Christ, Well, Father, we thank you for their witness, for their testimony, for their testimony is true. But oh, we thank you, Lord, that the day will come when those of us who have yet to see our Lord Jesus Christ will see him face to face. Oh, we look forward to that day, Lord. We eagerly long for that day from the depths of of our hearts and souls for each and every one of us who have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus on the cross of Calvary, saved by his grace and by his mercy. Oh, how we long, God, to see you, our Savior, Lord Jesus. How we long. It is the deepest desire of our hearts to see you so that our faith will be sight. May you be glorified, O Lord. May you be glorified in this message that has been preached today, O Lord. May you cause this message to take roots deep within the hearts, the minds, the souls, and the lives of all the saints who are here who have heard your word, O God. And I pray for those who are sinners, who are not believers, who are lost. We pray that they will stop doubting and believe, even now mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen.